Praise the Lord, all my as I live. Do not trust in your princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirits departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Hi, I'm JD. And I'm Nancy. And, and here's, here's what's going, going on. Oh. Oh, yeah. We're not doing video announcements. There's actual people here. Sorry, guys. It's just a camera. <laughs> Anyways, hi. I am JD, and this is Nancy. This morning, literally, here's what's going on. We're going to be tag team preaching. Okay? So, you will see us moving back and forth. You'll see us high-fiving, you know? All right? So it's going to be a pretty dynamic morning. It's going to be a pretty dynamic day. We're in a sermon series currently. Uh, it's called It's All About God. We've been exploring kind of these psalms that have been grounding us in who God is and all that he has for us. Uh, we've talked about beauty. We've talked about worship. And this morning, we're going to be talking about justice. Mm. And we recognize that we may be touching on some sensitive matters today. And we hope that you're going to stay open to what God has for you, what God wants to teach us, what he may be saying to us this morning. All right. So, everyone cool? Give me like a north-south. Thank you. All right. In order to get started, we need three volunteers. Mark, will you come help us real quick? You're not a volunteer. We just need your help. (laughs) We just need your help. Okay. Raise your hand. Okay. And who else? Uh, Bill in the back. Yeah, I like that. And then we need one more. Schumann. Yeah. He was raising his son's hand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, we want to present the three of you with an opportunity to compete. Awesome. All right. So this is how it's going to work, okay? Uh, you have cups in front of you, and what you basically have to do is to build the cups. All right? You guys have seen this, right? Where, like, people kind of, like, do this kind of thing, you know? You know, you kind of build them, right? <laughs> Obviously, I'm not spiritually gifted at building cups. But you guys understand what I'm talking about, okay? So the three of you, when we say go, we'll have to... <laughs> She's good. We'll have to build these cups, okay? And basically the first person after a period of time or the one who gets the most cups highest is kind of like the winner, okay? That's how we're going to look at it. Um, But we should make this a little interesting, right, Nancy? Yeah, blindfolds. So I think um, let's give Nina a blindfold, okay? And why don't we give Schumann a blindfold? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like it. I like it. Now it's interesting. But what if we, what if we make this interesting one more and say that, um, uh, let's see, Nina or Schumann? Let's hear it for Nina. Yeah. 
Let's hear it for Schumann. Oh my gosh, that's kind of even. Yeah. Let's say Schumann, you have to do it with one hand. Blindfolded, one hand behind your back. Okay? All right. Will you, will you help put the blindfolds on? And Nina, you're good. Okay, we're going to position you in front. Walk up front a little bit. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm going to like make a beat with my mouth or something to make it somewhat fun. So you guys cheer them on, but don't freak them out. Okay? All right. Will you help Schumann to find his way to the front at least? Okay, here we go. Ready? We're going to count down. Uh, three, two, two one. one, go! Go. You got your pilot. Yeah. Oh. You want like five across your base layer. Five across your base layer. Five seconds. One, four, three, two, one. Okay, yeah. All right. So we'll just do audience vote and participation, okay? How many of you think that Bill won? Cool, cool. And don't just do it because you like Nina, okay? Because we all love her. How many of you think Nina won? That's fair. You can think like a blindfold Nina. And how many of you think Schumann won? Pretty amazing. Well, all right. uh, let's give them all a hand, yes. and you guys can get back. To yes. Thank you. So I want to see what did you notice about this. Just shout out some answers. What did you notice? It wasn't fair. Oh my gosh! What else did you notice? Uh, yeah, Nina Schumann. I removed some of your cups so you never would have been able to build that perfect pyramid tower. Hmm. What else did you see? She was good blindfolded one-handed. Oh, he is. That man has some talent, some gifting. Yeah. Yeah. What did you feel as they were doing that? Anxiety. Oh, some anxiety, some worry, stress in front of people and, and stress that maybe they'll never be able to do it because they're blindfolded and don't have enough, enough material to actually complete the task. What did you wonder about this? What was over here? Like by faith. Yeah, by faith. Mm-hmm. How, how are we moving by faith? How are we trusting in this system? Hmm. This is sometimes a a picture of what happens in our world. Things aren't set up fairly. Not everybody has access to all of the materials to be able to accomplish their task, their job, to be able to live. Things in this world are not as fair as we sometimes think that they are. We see injustices all around us, and some of us even experience injustice. But... How do we respond to it? Well, some of us see it. We notice it. We recognize it, right? My African-American friends would call this being woke. Everyone say woke. Woke. There's a cool word for you. You can say I'm woke, right? 
We see realities of power, privilege, and preference in the world and in our lives. We recognize broken systems that favor whiteness, the rich, the powerful, males, the educated, many other things. Some of us see injustice, we recognize it, and we are woke to it. However, some of us see it so much that we become desensitized to it. What ends up happening is that we become numb to it. Like we see it, but we don't really see it. And honestly, we don't even really know if it's real anymore because it seems so often that it becomes fake. And, and it's not really our fault, okay? I'm not putting that blame on us. What happens is that the news stories, videos, multiple call to actions, protests, memes are just too much. And we think, oh, here we go again. Everyone is just complaining. Everyone has an issue, right? In Boston, if you've been following the news, they had a straight pride parade, well, that's another straight pride parade, right? It's another issue. It's another thing. And there's all these things that happen one after the other. So what happens is we become desensitized to where it's, oh, it's just another black person who died. Or it's just another immigrant story, a story of a child who's torn away from their family. Or it's just another ineffective policy to help the homeless that we're paying for who really actually put themselves there. Or it's just another woman who got harassed or assaulted. Or so she says it happens, but it probably didn't. We don't really know. He said, she said. Now, some of the numbness comes from our pure inability to simply process it all, and some of it comes from not knowing what to do because it just seems so insurmountable, impossible to fix. And it leads to a kind of apathy, and then what happens is that... Some people just ignore it. And sometimes it's by choice because, honestly, it's too much. There's nothing we can do or very little we can do to actually solve a problem, to fix an issue. It's way too hard to fix all of it. And we wouldn't know where to start anyway. We're just, we're just one person. That's just one person. What can we do? And come on, it's going to be better when we leave this place. When we get to heaven, it's all going to be restored. So we'll just wait till then. We don't have to worry about that now. We'll just we'll wait for heaven so we can ignore everything now. And then there's a different kind of ignorance of ignoring, one that's somewhat unintentional. Um, Maybe it just wasn't the way we were raised. Maybe we were raised in a a small, homogenous community that everybody looked the same. We weren't exposed to realities or issues that the world faces. Maybe it's just not close to us, so we don't see it. We don't, we don't feel it in our everyday lives. I mean, we live in this gorgeous, idyllic place here in Washington, and it's easy to just stay focused in our own little bubble. And sometimes I think we're just so busy living our own lives. Come on, parents, especially trying to get kids ready for back to school and look at all the supply lists and get to your job and get everything figured out. There is so much going on. We don't have time to see the injustice around us. We're good people. We're doing the best we can. In response to injustice, we confront it. We go out of our way to step up and help other people, to give our time to justice issues. We financially support causes that are important to us. We go and serve those who need help. And sometimes we actively engage in advocating for others. We all experience injustice at some level in this world. And oftentimes what we choose to think about it is more about our experiences, the lenses we put on and how we view the world, our own ideas of what is fair, what is right, our own ideas of justice. 
cloud it. Now, is that really what God desires of us? To figure out justice on our own? Or has he given us a right explanation of what he believes justice to be? As we turn to scripture today, we're asking the question, how do we live in a world full of injustice as followers of Jesus? This morning's passage is Psalm 146. And we're going to find that this passage reveals, I think, a big important key, a kind of secret to living into all that God has for us when it comes to the issues of justice. And so our passage of scripture this morning starts with a call to worship. The word that we hear is praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. Now this phrase in the Hebrew is actually hallelujah. Everyone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Hebrew verb there is halal, which means to worship, and it's connected to Yah, which means Yahweh. So it literally means praise the Lord. So the psalmist is calling himself to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. When we say hallelujah, we are actually calling each other to worship. And after that call to worship, there's a declaration. He continues and says, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. It's a bold declaration. It's one that's filled with determination and energy and commitment. And so the question is natural. Well, why is he praising? Why is he declaring that he's going to praise God for all of his life? Now, it might seem natural for us to think, well, maybe it's because things are good, right? It's easy to praise God when things are good. It's easy to praise God when life is good, when the kids are good, when they're sleeping. I have a three-year-old. Sorry, she's going to be three years old in two, two, two months like in December, she thinks she's three already. So that's what I mean when I say I have a three-year-old. <laughs> and it would be great. It's easy to praise God when she's in bed by seven, and Sarah and I have a normal night, and it's chilled, right? But yesterday, yesterday she was in bed by 10.30. Totally different story. Harder to praise God then. And so maybe he's praising God because life is good, because things are awesome. But the next part shows us the reason, and it's actually a confession. And this is what it says. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. He's suffering from disappointment in an earthly leader, an earthly leader's princes. He's being let down by someone who has rule and authority over him. And maybe, perhaps, he's living in a reality of injustice. Maybe it's during exile. Maybe it's different moments of Israel's history. But they're suffering because of these realities. Because what he says is, listen, when they die, their ideas are going to die. I mean, have you ever thought that badly of like a politician or a ruler? If they die, their ideas are going to die. This is really, 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 really bad. He has a confession where he says, do not put your trust in them, our rulers, our earthly leaders, who cannot save because they're going to let you down. And when their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and their plans will come to nothing. There's a turn in this psalm, a statement of faith, a word, a prayer of faith. He writes, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. Now, how can he say this? How can he say that the people of God are blessed, even when his world and reality is so broken? Even when things seem so wrong that he's saying death would be better, absence of them would be better. How can he say blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob? 
The reason why he can say this is because he knows who God is. He knows who the God of Jacob is. And he writes these words. Listen to this. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. He sees God as one who gives him reason to worship. And the God he sees is one who advocates for the weak, the marginalized, the forgotten, the unheard, the unseen. One who sets prisoners free, brings sight to the blind. One who lifts up those who are bowed down. Now this God is the one that the psalmist knows. And that's why he can say, even when my world is broken, even when it's filled with injustice, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You see, this God is all over the Old Testament. Ever since Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and broke the shalom of all things, the wholeness, the peace that existed in all things and in the spaces between them and between us, that beautiful picture where the world was right when that was broken by sin, ever since that moment, God was working to make it right. See, that's what true justice is. It's really a return to what is truly right, a return to how things really should be. And God, what you find about him in the Old Testament is that he doesn't just stand back and watch, but he is actively engaged in bringing justice to this world. We see it in Adam and Eve when he says, oh my gosh, they're filled with shame. And instead of abandoning them, he gives them clothes. Did you know it's the first time that we know of in Genesis that an animal was killed? An animal was killed to cover them. We see it in Noah, who's one righteous person, right, who ends up saving the fate of humanity because the world is so evil that God says, I want to start over. But then he says, Noah and the seven other family members connected to him, I'll spare humanity because of him. We see God noticing Abraham and Sarah, who are 190, and they can't have children. And God says, I see you, and I will give you a son. We see it in Hagar when she's cast out. She's literally kicked out of her home from Sarah, and she's out in the desert wandering by herself, literally has no place to go with a baby. And she says, no one sees me. And God shows up. And she says, you are El Rohi, the God who sees We see it in the story of Moses, who is a child, a baby, who is about to die from genocide. But the child is thrown away in a basket on water, rescued by a princess, grown to be a man, eventually finds his cultural identity, kills a person, becomes a criminal. And Moses, a criminal who's now running for his life, hiding in sheep fields away from the Egyptian officials, becomes the liberator of the people of God. We see it in Rahab, the prostitute, who ends up in the genealogy of Jesus because she trusted some spies who came over and she gave them harbor. We see it in Ruth, the foreigner who finds favor, the immigrant who travels and decides to stay with her mother-in-law, even though she knows that it's not for her benefit. She shows love and faithfulness, and God shows favor to her. We see in David, who's a forgotten kid. There's like eight sons, and when the prophet shows up and says, hey, dad, one of your kids is going to be king, they go through all seven, and they're like, uh, 
It's not one of us. And the prophet's like, don't you have any more kids? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 there's one more kid. He's kind of a runt. We leave him out in the sheep. He's, we don't know His name's David. Not, not David, not that David, different David. He becomes a king, the greatest king in Israel's history. And time and time again, what we see is that God is the God of the weak, the marginalized, the forgotten, the unheard, the unseen. And because of this, the psalmist knows a deep truth. He knows that God is working to make all things right. God himself is the greatest champion of justice. He's been doing it from the very beginning. He's been intimately woven with the story of humanity. All 39 books of the Old Testament are basically his way of saying, I'm going to make it right. It might take time, but I'm doing it. I'm going to establish shalom, wholeness, the rightness between all things again. God was working. He was giving the laws, the decrees to the Israelites. He was caring for his people. He still had a plan to make it right to bring redemption, to bring peace, to bring healing to the land. And to do this, Father God sent his son Jesus to earth. He gave a piece of himself to come down and dwell with us, to show us how to act with justice, how to love with mercy, how to walk in humility with our God. Early in Jesus' ministry, he was tested in the wilderness, and after this, he returned to Galilee where people were seeking him out. They wanted to hear what he had to say, what he had to teach them. And I want us to look at a passage in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. This was after that time, and it says in 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do these words sound familiar? These words from Luke, he says that he's reading from Isaiah. But does it also sound familiar to that psalm passage we read? When words are repeated by Jesus, we need to listen up. He's saying, this is important. I want you to hear this, so listen as I repeat these. Now, we don't know if Isaiah was quoting from the psalm, but what we do see here is that this matters to God. Justice matters to God. Throughout the New Testament, we see true story after true story of Jesus going to the oppressed, of Jesus going to the poor and feeding them and caring for them in very tangible ways. We see him healing the blind, healing the crippled, healing the disabled, freeing people from not only the demands to the law, 
but also freeing them from their sin. That ultimate act of healing and fulfillment of justice actually came as Jesus died on the cross. He had kept the Old Testament law perfectly, and he brought compassion for the people of God. And through his death and resurrection, he opened a way for us to be God's new covenant people. And then he left. What? He didn't fix it all. He left the world kind of broken and kind of a mess. I'm kind of like, Jesus, come on. I thought you were going to fix this. He hadn't fixed all of it yet. Part of Jesus' mission to meet the righteous requirement for salvation and to exemplify justice for those who would follow him. Part of his mission was to meet that requirement and to exemplify justice, to show us how to live, that we might be an extension of his hands, his feet, an extension of justice in the world so that we continue to care for the poor, so that we care for the blind and the disabled, the marginalized, the oppressed, so that we, we, because when God is making things right, he always uses people. He is at work in his people. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? God the Father gave his law. Jesus the Son fulfilled it and gave us an example of how to live it out. And we are not done yet. One of the things I love teaching kids is the big God story. And when we do that, we have a timeline in our room that shows at the very beginning, God created and God was working out his plan, his story, his path of redemption throughout all of the Old Testament. And then he sent Jesus to earth and we learn about Jesus's ministry and we see the promise that Jesus will return one day in full glory. That has not happened yet, friends. So that means we, you, me, we are on God's timeline. We are in God's plan. God is still working in and through us to bring his plan, to bring justice, to bring hope, to bring healing to this land. And it's not on our own power. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to go out into this broken, hurting world, who empowers us to bring justice into this world. And as we wait now for the kingdom to come, we get a glimpse of what heaven will be like. And as we work now, we get to bring that glimpse of heaven here, now, today, as we align our hearts to God's heart, as we join him in his mission for the world, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we act justly. We love with mercy. We walk humbly with God because God is still working in us. God's heart for justice is our heart for justice. As we align to him and his mission, His heart for justice is our heart for justice. 
So what would it look like if we started living this out here together? Now, the amazing thing, I know, you guys are like, oh, man, this is hard, is that we actually do quite a bit of this already. I want to show you some things. Because we care about justice and we believe that God's heart for justice is our heart for justice, this is why a group of people go once a month to Operation Night Watch. They go down to Seattle They cook a meal, and they serve those who are affected by homelessness. It is quite an adventure because you don't really know what ingredients you're going to have to work with. You just drive down, and then you have about an hour to prep, and you just go and make it. Because our heart for justice aligns with God's heart, we do things like Operation Night Watch. And we partner with Covenant Kids Congo, powered by World Vision. When we see the injustice of kids walking miles and miles to get water that still makes them sick. When we see that kids should have safe access to clean water, we step up, we move our feet through running or walking, raising awareness, raising funds, doing amazing things like the Global 6K, Seattle Half or Full Marathon. We bring hope and healing to some of the world's most vulnerable children. It's also why we partner with Habitat for Humanity, Some of us have gone and built homes. But the really cool thing is that we now have Habitat for Humanity homes right... My geography is horrible. There. (laughs) We have people who have now become our neighbors. And when we moved in, the care team and a group of people decided that we were going to give them baskets to welcome them, to say that you belong, to say that we're here for you if you need anything. We just gave them a bunch of free stuff and said, hey, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for being among us. We practice justice through our partnerships with Kodera Kenya, with Romania, and other mission partners. We've helped bring a school. We've helped bring safe access to water. We've brought hope to a small rural community. We've helped these people develop ways to live and to grow as God's people. Our commitment to justice takes us on a bus ride called Journey to Mosaic where we take an interactive and immersive experience where we hear stories of people of color, their struggles in the world. This is from the website, and you can see there's Pastor Sharon and Dan Bolstad, missions chair. It's an amazing thing just to go and hear and learn. It helps us to get out of ourselves and the ways that we think about the world and to see others where they are. One other area that we're getting to step into is called Justice Journey for Kids. This fall, our kids will be using this curriculum. Justice matters, so all of our kids will be learning about God's plan for justice, how we can be more aware of his work in the world, how we can be more aware of brokenness around us. So we're going to work together through that this fall. But what if we did more? What if we took one more step? What if we took two more steps and leaned in a little closer? Here are three things I want to encourage you with today. You have the ability to go learn. You can ask the question, what needs to be done, and step into it. If there's an issue you want to know about it, know more about, go learn. Sit with somebody, ask questions. We are people that can learn. Go do. When you learn about it, 
When you see what needs to be done, go do it. Physically put your body in a different space where you might feel uncomfortable, but you're learning and you're doing as you're aligning to God's heart. The third is go be. Be an advocate. We often have access to areas others don't. We have access to people, to information. And sometimes that means we have privilege. And we can use our voice to lead other people to help bring justice. We can use our time, our money, our resources to bring, to help others, to show the coming kingdom now. Because God's heart for justice is our heart. So what would it look like for us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God? It might look like having conversations. It might look like engaging in studies. It might look like inviting those neighbors to your house. It might look like taking some time and volunteering, maybe taking your kids with you. It might look like giving more of yourself. But what if we could do that as a church? What if one of the things that we were known for in Sammamish and the surrounding areas was, man, those people bless people. They love people. And they give of themselves in ways that make no sense. When people start saying those things about Pine Lake Covenant Church, we know that God's heart for justice is aligned as our heart for justice. And so where are you this morning? Maybe you don't know Jesus or who God is. Maybe you're like, I'm not a Christian or I'm a seeker and I have no clue. Look, God is the one who is for the marginalized, the lost, the oppressed, the lonely, the unseen. He is a God of love, a champion of justice, a restorer of shalom. And he can be in your life too if you allow him to be, if you choose faith in him. Maybe you're experiencing injustice in your life. Maybe you yourself are a victim of systems and you just feel like no one really understands. The words of the psalmist resonate with me. My word to you is that he's working on your behalf. Have hope in him. Trust yourself to worship because you know who God is. Maybe you're feeling called and invited to take a step further. Respond, move forward, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to new places and change your life. And if we do that collectively as a church, God's heart for justice is our heart for justice. We'll see it in the ways that we live, love each other, and bless this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father of heaven, we are so grateful for the ways that you love us. We're so grateful for this opportunity that we have to gather around your word and to see your heart. And as we now move towards communion, this table, which shows your heart so clearly, God, we pray that you would open our eyes to the more depths of your love. Inspire us, God, to be more and to do more. Not for us, but for you. And because we've been loved so greatly ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.